Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Anuj Desai. Anuj is the host of Europe's leading cannabis industry podcast, The Cannabis Conversation. He's a qualified lawyer, having worked in a variety of senior roles in the UK media industry over the last 15 years and continues to be a freelance legal consultant, as well as an entrepreneur and investor in the cannabis sector. Anuj has developed and continues to expand an extensive network in the cannabis, CBD and hemp sectors, both in the UK and internationally. So a very big welcome, Anuj. Hi guys, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. I must say I'm looking forward to our, our chats. Um, if I didn't have a, a Legally Speaking podcast, I think a, a cannabis one would probably be my second preference. <laughs> but before we go through all of that, we do have an icebreaker question on our show. Um, so you may or may not be aware, but we ask every guest to rate on the scale of 1 to 10 10 being very real, how real they rate the hit TV series Suits on the scale of 1 to 10 in terms of its reality? <laughs> oh, uh, it's one that I've swerved, and I'll tell you why, because um, it looks it looks too kind of fake to me. <laughs> so I don't know if your question. I, I think I've seen a few minutes of it. Everyone's very beautiful and... Um, Everyone sort of walks with those sort of powerful strides. So uh, it was a kind of bit of a no-no for me. <laughs> <laughs> so on balance, you'd probably give it a zero. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Maybe that's, that's life in a US law firm. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, listen, you've had a wonderful, you know, successful career. And we're, we're going to dig into all of that. But let's go back a little bit. Tell us a bit about, um, you know, a bit about your family background. And yeah, just a bit about you first. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in uh, North London and I went to Bristol Uni a long, long time ago, uh, which was great. And I didn't do a law degree. I did economics and history and uh, I graduated and I uh, didn't really know what to do. And I I got a few jobs in media because media sounded good, even though I didn't know what it meant. And um, <laughs> and so I tried to find my feet. And then... Um, uh, and then and I find this actually quite a common theme amongst lawyers that I speak to, but I kind of didn't know what else to do. <laughs> so uh, uh, I decided to go back to school and I did the uh, the law conversion course. And during that time, I I didn't get a training contract because I had a 2-2 from Bristol. And as we all know, that's a particular challenge when it comes to getting a training contract. So I was a bit struggling, um, but for some reason, I don't know if I'd do this again, actually, if I was kind of speaking to my 20-year-old self, but um, I took out huge loans to go and do the um, the kind of conversion in the LPC without a training contract. But I managed to get a paralegal job at Universal Pictures um, whilst doing my LPC. And um, you're getting the experience. I think that helped to overcome the 2-2. And then I, um, I managed to get a training contract with a firm called Oldswang we are now yeah. part of CMS. Yeah, tell us about your time there because, yeah, I mean, Oldswang would have been a very different firm to what it is now with obviously Nabara and the beast that is CMS. But tell people, we have a lot of junior listeners listening in. So tell us about your time sort of training there and how you found it. Yeah. Um, so even when I joined, which would have been 2004, five, I think, um, it, it already started. So it was initially a kind of boutique media practice um and had lots of sexy film clients and all that kind of stuff but uh, even when i joined it it started to sort of get more corporate because i think the thing is with firms um 
who have kind of a, a boutique niche area is there's only so far they can grow. And then in order to sort of start charging more fees, they need to start doing more corporate work. So that's what Oldswang did. And it started, um, had a fairly decent real estate practice as well. And and so, and, and as that happens and the fees go up, it means that they you can't really keep your kind of earlier clients because they just, they can't afford those massive fees. So there was a change even when I was there and that's definitely happened now. It's part of a really big firm now, but um uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun place to be. But when I um, qualified in 2007, I really wanted to do TV work and, and it didn't really have that much TV work. The, the main media work they were doing was for very big companies and it was, it was kind of corporate support and outsourcing. They, they still do media work. And I'm not going to say that they don't, but it, was, you know, it wasn't kind of working with independent producers and, uh, and all that sort of stuff, which I was quite interested in. So I moved on qualification. I had a great time there, and I, I spent six months on secondment at the BBC, which was a brilliant experience because I'd gone from six months in banking, which um, for anyone that's listening uh, who's done a, a seat in banking will know that you don't really get to see your home much. You just get very <laughs> well acquainted with a photocopier. Um, and uh, so I had six months of that, and then I went to the BBC, which was couldn't have been more opposite. I had a massive uh, office of my own I had a TV and a, uh, a monitor on the desk. It was the World Cup and Wimbledon, um, and yeah, it was. <laughs> how, do you, how do you fit it all in? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was great. It was great, um, and, and made loads of friends. And um, yeah, I think training contracts are they're, they're very hard work, but you there's a camaraderie and a you know. A kind of university element to it because you're all kind of roughly around the same age mostly and you're all in it together and um and you form some good bonds and i'm still friends with some of the people i was training with yeah and you, you've worked with so many amazing brands you know from talk talk hmv bt etc on a whole host of different things you know what's it like working with some of those big brands from a sort of legal capacity what what insights can you share and some learnings um <laughs> well I mean, they're all companies at the end of the day. And, um, and yeah, I mean, look, they're corporate institutions. And, I mean, it kind of says a lot about my career that generally I kind of wanted to move away from that. And I, I had, like I said, I had good experience, good training, and you learn a lot. But my natural inclination isn't towards the sort of big, big corporate places because they're just less flexible. And there's an element of more security, but you – just because they're so big, you you can get quite siloed, I think. So um, they're great for exposure to big ticket kind of deals and, and stuff like that. And, you know, if, if that's what motivates you, then, then great. Uh, for me, I like the more rough and ready, smaller businesses. So um, I, it's, it's kind of in part why I'm doing what I'm doing now, but I was always sort of trying to go for smaller companies where I had more of an influence and also I was able to do more things and just a very kind of, very structured legal role, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you very much are that entrepreneur because, you know, throughout your career, you have founded businesses and you've, you've kind of launched and set up sort of law firms. So let, let's just talk a little bit about that because you had your um, health and fitness business that you you kind of founded. So how did you go about that? Um, that was just an idea with uh, a friend of mine and probably the key role in my career was when I was group head of legal at Blinkbox. And um, the reason why that was quite key was 
that was working with a couple of entrepreneurs. The business was owned by Tesco. So um, we had this kind of startup within a massive organization. So a, a very kind of deep-pocketed parent company behind us. But it was very much um, entrepreneurs running it from a day-to-day perspective. So yeah, we did lots of kind of interesting things, trying to break the rules a bit. And it wasn't you know a very kind of strictly legal role. I did a lot of commercial work and... Uh, I was sitting on the management team, so I got to really learn about how businesses work and um, how they all sort of fit together. So you've got the tech team, you've got marketing, your HR, and all of those different departments that have different idiosyncrasies and and different ways of working. So I learned a lot about how actually to run an effective company, you've got to actually manage all of these relationships and, and kind of keep everyone moving in the same direction. And I, it kind of inspired me to sort of try and figure out something myself. And so Blingbox got sold to TalkTalk Talk and, um, and I actually moved out of law into a commercial role. And I enjoyed the commercial role. I just wasn't that much of a fan of the business. Um, and particularly because TalkTalk Talk wasn't really in the media game. It, it kind of had a media business, had a TV platform, but it was really not looking at it at all seriously. So there wasn't really a future there. Um, and I left and I just thought, why not give it a crack? You know, I'm kind of getting towards the end of my thirties and I've, I've, I've learned a few things, so I'll give it a go. And, um, so we set this business up and it was a health and fitness business for over fifties and I loved it. It was really hard. <laughs> um, and it was not something that was going to go on long term. And that this was a key learning as well. Um, Relationships in, in startups are very key, and um, I don't think myself and my my mate were we were really good friends. I don't know if we we're necessarily good business partners, um, but we called it early. You know, we, we had a frank chat and said, "Look, let's let's remain friends and uh, not spoil it with this business." But that kind of gave me the bug, and it meant that anything I was looking for after that was sort of had to be a bit entrepreneurial. So, yeah. And that, and that brings us on to then, um, you know, the cannabis conversation, you know, hugely successful podcast, you know, you're well over 30,000 downloads, like you really are making massive strides in that sector. But again, I always like to understand people's motivations and why, how, how did that sort of come about? And why did you want to have your own podcast in that space? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I've never really done anything kind of outwardly creative before. And actually, as a lawyer, I'd probably just assume I'm a lawyer, therefore I'm inherently uncreative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, because, I mean, lawyers don't like to take risks and sort of creative things are, you know, they're not perfect. And I think as lawyers, we all sort of try and, you know, eliminate risk. Um, so this was, you know, I didn't know what, what would happen, et cetera. But to sort of take myself back to it, I, I got interested in the space and, I, an old colleague of mine who's, who's quite prominent had set up a few businesses. He invited me to a couple of conferences and I went along and I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I was either thinking it would be like lots of kind of real money men who were sort of exploiting the situation or it would be loads of crusty hippies and, um, and, and tie-dye T-shirts and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and actually, it was none of that. I mean, there was a bit of the money men bit and there was a little bit of the kind of hardcore activist, but it was actually a lot of patience. So there was, I mean, that was, those are the most sort of profound talks I went to where you've got, uh, there was a brilliant talk uh, where um, there's, a, there's a woman called Chelsea Leyland, who's a kind of DJ, 
Um, she suffers from epilepsy and her sister suffers from very chronic epilepsy. And um, she's just making a film at the moment. She hosted a stage and there was a, a woman who had really severe chronic pain. Um, there was a, a, a guy in his 70s whose wife had just passed away from MS who'd been treating with cannabis. Um, and then there was um, Charlotte Caldwell, whose son, Billy Caldwell, has very severe form of epilepsy and um, was in part reason that the law got changed in um, 2018 um, to allow medical cannabis. Um, and I was There's just heard question, just to cut in there, just for people listening in, it's the obvious question, but is cannabis legal in the UK? <laughs> um, so medical cannabis is legal under sort of very strict circumstances. So technically it is, um, or it's a, it, you were able to get it prescribed, but in practical sense, it's very hard to get hold of it um, because just because of the hurdles you've got to go through to get it prescribed. Um, or it's very expensive, so you can go to a private clinic, but I mean, that, that, that that's not obviously available to, to most people. So, yeah, that's that's the high-level legal status of cannabis. Medical cannabis is technically allowed in, in certain circumstances. Recreation is, is obviously illegal. But, yeah, so uh, to take a step back, I saw, I saw these guys talking about and these really, really real problems and how cannabis was helping um, treat these people, both from a, an underlying perspective, but also sort of giving them better quality of life because of managing their pain, et cetera. Um, and, and that's what kind of got me into it. So I was like, wow, this is more than just, you know, a bunch of stoners. There's something real here. And decided to read more about what was happening across the world. Canada went fully legal recreationally um, not long after um, that. Uh, I think it was the end of 2018. And um, so there's been a real movement. CBD is obviously very popular and is everywhere. And um, so I started to look at it. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And um, I personally had been listening to a few podcasts myself, and I found them a really good way in to understanding new topics. Um, you know, they're kind of passive in nature, so you can listen to them on your commute or when you're at the gym or when you're doing other things. And um, they're a great way to get up to speed on, you know, new subjects. So I thought there's tons of cannabis podcasts coming out of North America, as you, you know, as you probably expect, but there wasn't really anyone doing it in the UK or in Europe. So I thought, um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give this a go. It'd be a great way to sort of go and meet people, you know, get a little bit of profile, uh, but mainly learn stuff. So I kind of have been, my attitude has been like, well, what do I want to know more about? And then I find if I can, the best qualified person to speak to. And then I'm, and then, you know, that's my interview. Well, uh, yeah. And I think, you know, let, let's, let's call it. I mean, you've had some massive names come onto the show in the space who are sort of internationally renowned sort of cannabis activists, advocates, you know, who have founded some of the biggest names in the business. So, you know, what have been some of the most interesting insights you've learned from, from sort of having these guests on the show? Oh, wow. Too many. Uh, I mean, some of the most interesting ones, I think, are the more sciencey ones. So where I'm speaking to um, doctors or um, researchers, one of my favorites is a guy, is a guy Professor Deddy Mary, who's um, from Technion uh, University in Israel. Um, he's uh, probably one of the world's leading researchers into cannabis as a treatment for cancer. And uh, the complexity of the plant but also the complexity of the things that he's studying are, are you know, uh, are huge. Um, 
I mean, one of the things, I, I, you know, without singling anything out, the things that I really enjoy is I'm learning stuff about biotechnology, agriculture, you know, the human body, mental health, uh, investment, uh, capital markets, uh, you know, all these things that I didn't, you know, in my, in my kind of law, role as a media lawyer, it was great. And like I said, I did learn a lot about business, but I've learned a lot more about kind of how the global economy works um, just in these sort of last couple of years doing doing this podcast. So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite hard to pick out a few things, but I do, I do tend towards the science side of things. And it's really when you see how our medical system is set up um, and you know, it sounds all quite conspiracy theory and, again, quite hippie, but um, the emergence of kind of re-emergence of plant-based therapies for as medicine is is really interesting to see and you only have to look to the opioid crisis in the u.s to see how a lot of pharmaceutical models and a lot of our modern day medicine is based on you know companies selling you a medicine um and whether it actually fixes your problem or not is sort of incidental it's about the fact that you're a repeat customer who has to buy pills you know every week for the rest of your life and um and then they and then the problems that come with that so there's the, the whole movement towards more plant-based medicine is an interesting one. It's quite difficult because it's much it's much less precise than than the pharmaceutical model. But um, you know, it, it's a kind of you know early early stages with that. So uh, I kind of feel quite proud and happy to be part of this new movement, um, which is bringing a lot of help to people that really need it. And absolutely, and you're on a you're on a really big journey. I mean, you're developing such a you know wide network. As I've mentioned, sort of, it's not just UK, it's not just Europe, but, but globally in terms of the the cannabis sector, which is which is great. I mean, just in terms of some practical things, the medical cannabis. What's that most commonly used for? Just for people kind of listening in, just to get a sense of you know what 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 it might be used for. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's again. It, so uh, it might be useful to sort of say that cannabis is made up of over 500 compounds and there are thousands of different strains. Um, well, I hope, yeah, at least a thousand, uh, but probably several different strains of cannabis and they all have different profile of ingredients in them. So they all do different things. Um, so it's not just like one, it's not just one plant and that's it. Um, there's huge variation. And um, so different, different plants will do different things. The things that are commonly, or people are getting most excited about are around pain. Um, and um, antispasmodic um, qualities, so that sort of um, fits into the sort of epilepsy side of things. Then there's uh, CBD is kind of being talked about in terms of anxiety and um, anti-inflammatory qualities as well. Uh, so those are, those are the main kind of areas. I hope I'm not forgetting anything there. Cancer is a really really interesting one, um, and there's bits around sort of palliative care. So again looking at medicine in a slightly different way, the quality of life aspect is quite big. So um, just generally, you know, allowing you to live a more pain-free life um, is, is, a, is a key quality of a good medicine. And cannabis has been shown to, to, to help that. In, in specific relation to cancer, it's in, and again, when I was speaking to Professor Mary, um, who I mentioned earlier, it is so complex, and obviously with with cancer, everyone sadly is you know most people are uh, affected by it in some way. Um, 
there's real hope there, but he's sort of saying that there's a lot of research to, to kind of come and really validate stuff. But it's been shown to sort of kill cancer cells, help with um, the side effects from chemotherapy, so nausea and lack of appetite, things like that. Um, so it, it can be used in a lot of different ways. But sorry, I'm, I'm trying to be brief, but it's such a massive topic that you, I could probably bang on about it for a few hours. And that's why people should definitely check out your podcast and listen to it to to get more details. It is such an interesting, interesting topic. Just out of interest in terms of countries that, you know, produce the most, I'm assuming the US, but correct me, who are some of the major kind of producers that people would probably be more aware of? The UK uh, was the largest exporter of medical cannabis in the world or legal cannabis in the world. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly true right now, but it certainly was up until about a year ago. And that's because the biggest cannabis company in the world, well, arguably the biggest, at least one of the two, um, is a company called GW Pharma, uh, which is UK. It's listed in in the US. Um, And they have a couple of cannabis-based drugs which are FDA approved in the US, but also approved in various jurisdictions uh, around the world. And, And so... They've been around for quite a while and they've been uh, patenting a lot of these um, medicines. So, you know, it would probably come as a bit of a surprise that the UK is the largest exporter. The main other countries are, um, well, I mean, you say the US, Canada, obviously, from a um, legislative perspective, uh, but also Canada allowed companies to float on the Canadian Stock Exchange. And that was huge because whilst cannabis is federally illegal in the US. It's legal in certain states um, to different levels. But the, the the federal prohibition of cannabis in the US means that it's very difficult to access the banking system. Um, and so most companies in the US, you know, can't get loans and do sort of normal things that companies would do to expand. So uh, Canada opening up its sort of public markets means that lots of companies have floated in Canada and um, have raised money that way. Um, so that's been quite significant. Probably the biggest country in Europe is Germany in terms of, um, I think they've got over 50,000 prescriptions, maybe 70,000. And uh, Israel, as I mentioned, Israel is very kind of leading in in research. Um, Australia, uh, Thailand, I think is opening up in, in Asia. There's lots of bits going on. South America is actually really interesting as well because it's probably got one of the best climates to grow cannabis um various bits in africa there's a lot of small nations that are seeing cannabis as a uh, a kind of uh, stimulus to their economies so you've got macedonia lesotho um malta so small countries um are kind of opening up their um systems to this in order to maybe steal a march on on the bigger countries who are probably a bit more conservative and slower on the uptake yeah, now that's really interesting. Thanks for, for sharing that. And as, as I mentioned, you've had so many amazing guests in the space that you're in come on the show. Um, how do you go about sort of selecting them and, and getting them on the show? And also, is there one guest that you're kind of targeting that you would love to have on the show that you kind of would just say that person would just really, really bring so much value to, to your podcast just out of interest? <laughs> um, so... I've been quite lucky. I've probably got a mix of people coming to me and me approaching them. I've now got a pretty decent network around the world. So most people I can get in touch with, not everyone says yes, but there's a kind of nice mix about that. 
Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, I originally sort of set this up thinking I'd quite like to teach the whole world about cannabis. What, what it sort of evolves into is very much an industry podcast, kind of B2B. So people who are people who are either working in the industry or want to work in the industry. So I get a lot of young people who are who are probably, you know, either at university or graduates who are sort of looking, who are very interested by CBD or medical cannabis and saying, how can I get in? Um, and they've used the podcast as a way to learn about it. So it's kind of naturally evolved there. And, you know, originally I would have been like, I want to get Snoop on the show. I want to get Mike Tyson or <laughs> yeah. whoever else. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that would kind of fit with what I'm doing now. So I'm less, I'm less wowed by the celebrity this week's show that's coming out on Wednesdays with um, a guy called Dr. Ethan Russo, who's probably one of the foremost medical sort of specialists in the world. Um, huge, huge amounts of information. Um, so not necessarily well known, but you know, someone I'm quite excited about having on. Yeah, and definitely be a thought leader and someone who can add loads of extra extra context to, to, to the show. And just in terms of anything else, is there any other sort of interesting facts about cannabis that maybe, you know, myself probably not, not aware of that would be quite, quite cool to share? Well, I mean, cannabis obviously gets a lot of press, but what I find more interesting is hemp, actually. And um, so just, just for the listener's benefit, hemp is the cannabis plant, but with a low level of THC. And THC is basically responsible for a huge amount of things, but probably most famous for it gets you stoned, it gets you high, it's that effect. But it has loads of medical qualities as well, but people really kind of focus in on the um, intoxication element of it. Um, and hemp is basically cannabis, but with a very low level of THC in it. And um, it was historically used as a material in um, all kinds of things. So um, it's, uh, I mean, throughout history. So, you know, the, the British Navy used it in their sails, um, and actually that's it, it, where cannabis came from the word canvas because of that. And actually the prohibition of cannabis is largely due to hemp. Um, so in the U S the, the oil industry and the paper industry kind of slightly colluded in the 1930s to, um, get hemp outlawed because it was, hemp was used for everything. Henry Ford actually made a car made a, mostly out of hemp using hemp fuel, um, to power it. And, um, and so, you know, it, it's got a lot, a lot of uses and, um, it was, you know, it was a threat to the paper industry and the oil industry. And, um, and so they, they, they kind of helped to scapegoat hemp in with cannabis saying it's uh, and they used a really, really racist campaign as well. It was used as a, as a reason to kind of marginalize Mexicans and blacks and anyone that the majority government in the U S didn't like at the time. And, um, and it was actually mainly due to hemp rather than actually cannabis. So, um, I mean, that's a whole massive topic on its own. But um, the reason I find hemp really interesting is because obviously people are looking at sustainable solutions now. And um, it's an amazing crop. It, it sequesters more CO2 than sort of virtually any other crop. Um, it grows really quickly. So, you, you know, in, in the right climate, you can get two, three growth cycles in a year. Um, and um, countless other um, environmental benefits. So as much as I'm really interested in the medicinal qualities of cannabis and the, the wellness qualities of CBD, for example, um, I think you know, hemp as a material um, and as a substitute for you know, potentially things like plastic 
um, is really, really exciting. Yeah, and, and thanks so much for sharing that. Really, really is interesting. So I think just as we, we, we draw to a close, because I'm sure this would have piqued a lot of people's interest, you know, how can people hear more about this? Do you want to sort of give a shout out to the podcast, how people can listen and, and maybe get in touch with you in terms of your, your social media channels? The podcast comes out every Wednesday evening. Um, it's called The Cannabis Conversation. The website is www.cannabis-conversation.com. Um, I'm mainly on LinkedIn and Twitter. I've got Instagram as well and all that sort of stuff. But um, LinkedIn is probably the main channel because it's, like I said, it's more industry focused. Um, so please come along and um, find my page on LinkedIn. Um, and um, so the, week, the, the podcast comes out every week, but I share a lot of articles, not written by myself, but, um, but the, the kind of best things that I read during the week and um and yeah it's a great place to learn um various bits about it so um yeah please come along and check it out yeah well listen Anuj, thank you so much for uh, all of those interesting insights as i said i've learned so much that i thought i knew a little bit about cannabis but it transpires i don't know anything so uh, yeah i'm a big fan of your podcast so i'm going to be tuning in more regularly for sure thanks so much for that it's been an absolute pleasure having on the show and hopefully we'll have you uh, back again in the future where we can find out what the state of the uh, cannabis uh, space is down the line yeah absolutely we'd love to do that thank you Robert